Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond and I'm a middle school digital music teacher and Modern Classrooms implementer in Washington, D.C. And I'm also a Modern Classrooms mentor and the producer of this very podcast. Tonight, I am joined by Jennifer Stevens, who is going to help me to tackle probably the biggest and hottest topic we've ever covered on this podcast, which is motivating our students, motivation. Now, Jennifer is a sixth and seventh grade resource ELA teacher in Georgia, and she's also a distinguished Modern Classrooms educator and a mentor with Modern Classrooms. Welcome, Jennifer, to this very heavy topic on our podcast. Hello. Nice to have you. So we've actually covered motivation on the podcast before. It was episode, I believe, 43, and I'll link that down in the show notes. But um, man, it's been 43, so it's been like 70 episodes since then. So let's let's uh, tackle this big topic again. But before we do, Jennifer, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Tell me about who you are, what you teach, and how you started your Modern Classrooms journey. Well, I started when I was teaching uh, family and consumer science, and I was teaching a lab class that was 100% hands-on and then COVID hit and we had a new principal who was afraid to let our kids share supplies or be within six feet of each other. So she implemented a lot of new rules and basically said no uh, sharing of supplies, so no labs. And my outside of the box thinking said, I got to find a way around this or my kids are going to revolt and I'm not going to have a program left. So I uh, dreamed up this thing in my head and I went researching, looking for ways to make this happen. And I fell upon Modern Classroom Project and it was completely the answer that I was searching for. So I implemented it on steroids because the only way to share supplies was to have every student on a completely different unit so that they could have enough supplies to do their labs. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work, but it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I was talking about this with another podcast guest the other night. Like, that's a really common thread, um, finding modern classrooms during the pandemic. You know, like, I like the idea of the, of modern classrooms on steroids because you're like self-pacing across different units. That's that's quite a feat, actually. I mean, like, how, how did it how did that work? Can you explain a little bit more about that before we really dive into the topic? Yeah, I had to work. Uh, specifically with Rob, to develop, basically develop my own LMS system within uh, Google Sheets, Google Forms, and Google Classroom to actually make it work because it was it was something that my kids needed uh, structure. They needed to know exactly what to do because there was a lot of change that was already overwhelming them and their parents. So I had to make sure that it was exactly the same from this unit to the next unit and um, make it easy on them. So we had them submitting their assignments through Google Forms. So they would go down and pick which unit they were on and then pick which lesson they were on. And then at the end, they would upload their work, uh, whatever they did. And they might take a picture of something that they did for their lab, or they might upload 
uh, a PDF of an actual project that they did and typed out and saved. And then they would submit it. And on my sheet, I would open it up and I had everything in one Google sheet and I would just click across my tabs on the bottom. And then I used Google sites to create all of my units and I put them all in there very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to say that's like a lot of units to plan at one time. It was, but I had a lot of my stuff already planned, planned out. I just didn't have the video. So I had all my lessons ready for the most part. And I had all my labs ready to go. I had to redo all my lab boxes. So I went out and bought a bunch of plastic boxes with lids and put their supplies in it. I put a lab sheet in there and then I labeled everything and put it in order. And then I put all the papers that go with each lab. So it was all the way around uh, this big counter that I was fortunate enough to have in my room. And I just had little bins of supplies and this and that. And when they would tell me I need lab supplies for this lab, I would go get it, bring it to them. And then I could sanitize them when they were done, but I'd stick their name on it because they might use it for three or four days. And so it worked out really well in the end. And, and it was really motivating to my kids because they'd be like, wait, I want to do that. What's he doing? Well, you got to get to that unit. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. That's amazing. And then another thing with the way that that worked was nobody knew where they were in relationship to somebody else. So there was no, I'm behind, you're behind, I'm faster than you, I'm better than you. That was completely eliminated because there was no way to judge that. That's really interesting. I mean, we're going to get into that later in this motivation discussion. Um, Like what, what was on pace then? Like how did you set the pace? I had to set it. Uh, for each unit. So what I did was I had in Google Classroom their unit and I would only give them the link to their unit page. So it was a unit overview page. So if they were on fashion design, then I would open up that link on Google Classroom for that student. They could go in and click on that main page and then go to each of their lessons. And then their pacing guide was on that uh, particular unit overview so they could see that at the bottom and then only they could only see the people who were in that unit with them oh i see so there there was some amount of like people doing the same thing yes because i might have four lessons per unit say four to six lessons per unit so there were four to six labs per unit so i could you know one unit might have six labs one might have four so i only allowed that many people in that unit at a time. Got it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got it. Okay. That's amazing. Thank you for indulging me. That was, I was just like, I didn't, I I wasn't prepared for such an interesting, like to be so interested in that. Uh, so I asked you some questions, but I, I apologize for getting us so far off topic. Um, let's, let's dive into motivation. And I was thinking about how to structure this discussion about motivation. And I thought maybe the best way to, to begin this conversation would be to frame the problem? Like, what is it that Modern Classrooms is helping us to solve? So I guess my questions are like, you know, why is it challenging to motivate our students? Why are students demotivated? And what does that demotivation manifest as? What does it look like when students aren't motivated in our classes? And what might be some of the causes of our students being demotivated? So like, how would you sort of define the 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 problem statement here? I feel like for me, it's not hard to motivate students in general because I think they want to do really well. Um, I find that I have several students who are used to failing over and over and over again. 
And they come into my classroom with self-defeating ideas about their own abilities. And that sets them up for, I can't, I don't want to. And that's where we have to really look at motivating them from my standpoint. So, you know, some of them have experienced being able to pass without doing their best work. And they just kind of got used to, well, I don't have to do it and I'll still pass. It's not, it's okay. I don't have to worry about it. So I really work to get into their heads and say, no, you can do this. We can do this. I can help you. Let me show you how you can do it. Um, and I try to believe in them so that they can start to believe in their self because that's the students that I deal with. That's what I mostly find. I'm in a rural area and we, that's just kind of what we see. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. Like, I think it's a dangerous assumption to, well, to assume that students are not motivated. I think that all students want to succeed in school, but you're right. Like they, uh, sometimes they just haven't been able to. And so they come in with these attitudes of like, I'm not able to do this. So why even try, you know, like they, they want to succeed. They want to be good students. They want to not be distracted. And, and I think they struggle with that. Yeah. And I, I think that they, become demotivated. Sometimes we get students that come in and then they they are motivated to start, but then they lose motivation throughout the year. And I find that that happens most when they are not experiencing success along the way or um, when they feel like a teacher doesn't care about them or, or dislikes them or doesn't see the value. They don't see the value in, you know, the efforts like she don't care anyway. She doesn't read what we do. She doesn't she doesn't look at it. Yeah. That's a very common sort of like statement that I think comes from what we would consider demotivation, right? Like that's like a very normal student attitude if teachers aren't really forming relationships with their kids. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. I think sometimes when we have all these standards that we have to cover in in a certain period of time and the kids have to pass the tests and how do you manage all that? You know, I think we lose some of that other stuff that we really need, like the relationship building and the spending time with the kids the way they need it. Um, without realizing it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like it's important to to consider what your class feels like from a student perspective and ask if it feels authentic, right? Like, is there a reason that we're doing this? And I know that that's like the common, it's very like cliche to be like, why are we doing this? You know, it's a very like student kind of question to ask, but like, really, why are we doing this? Like if you can frame everything that we're doing in terms of its purpose and contextualize it in terms of like, you know, even within the class, why is this valuable? Um, students, I think, will be motivated to do it. And if you can form a relationship with them where they know that you're authentic and you then tell them that it's important, they know that you mean it, right? Um, yeah. And so how about like, uh, what what sort of, uh, what do we see when students aren't motivated? Like, how does that manifest in, in classes that you've seen? And just, I guess, in general, teachers know this probably, but what has been your observation? I think just in general, you see behavior problems, playing, talking, off-task behavior, complaining, arguing, sleeping, wanting to leave the room every day. Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that teachers see a lot of that. I know I do. Um, so I guess let's think about as we consider how, well, how in general we can approach this problem and also how we can use the model to approach this problem. I think it's important to specify the elements of motivation and and demotivation that we can actually control. You know, uh, you talked, you mentioned a lot of things. We know that our students have a lot going on. Um, 
sometimes they have a test in another class, right? Many are experiencing trauma. Like there's a bajillion factors that are beyond our control uh, in terms of motivating students, but there are also factors that we can control that are within our sort of realm of control. And so thinking about that, what do you think are some of the causes and the manifestations of lack of student motivation that we see on a daily basis that fall within our realm of control? I think one of the things that is really important for us to think about is how we set up our classrooms to facilitate the success of the students. Because um, if kids come in and it's unpredictable, especially like you're talking about the kids that experience trauma, they they really need a predictable uh, routine every day. And so when they when they come in and they know this is what I do, this is what I do next, and then here's where I go get my things, and this is what's okay to do and when it's okay to do it. When they when they know that, they feel a lot more confident and comfortable operating um, with the other stuff that they have to do. Yeah, I was. I mean, absolutely, I agree with that completely. And I think that it's interesting to think about my modern classroom now. We're going to get into modern classrooms, the model itself, a little bit later. But uh, I mean, I. I think that if you looked at my modern classroom, the routine might be less obvious than when I was teaching traditionally. And I was, you know, for the first 10 minutes, I was standing at the front. And then after that, they got into independent work and what have you. Like the time was sort of more segmented in a routine way. But like the workflow routine in my modern classroom is so much more clear. And so kids really know how to like move through it, even though they're moving through it at different paces. And I I completely agree with that. It's very predictable. Like you're going to come in and you're going to pick up where you left off. Uh, and that's different for everybody, but but it is very predictable. Yes. And we always, I ran my classroom as if it were a business because it was CTAE. Um, and so I would start out, this, the principal wanted to see a opening and a closing. So we would have a business meeting uh, to open and we would have a business meeting to close. And we would talk about where are you? What did you do today? What did you learn? Where are you going to go tomorrow? And then where'd you leave off yesterday? Where are you going to start today? So it kind of brought them back and it didn't use up a lot of time. It was very quick. And these are middle schoolers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That thought they were big grown adults in a business environment. Yeah. Yeah. I teach middle school too. I teach six, seven, and eight. So I, it's just very funny to me to imagine that, especially with my sixth graders. Yes. Oh, they love it. Um, Some other things that teachers can control to help students feel more comfortable and confident is to teach them like with the modern classroom. I use a unit zero to teach the concepts um, while they are simultaneously learning the modern classroom procedure. So in our area that I live in, the parents were very against all of the digital learning. And so when we got back into the schools, I knew that was going to be I knew it was going to be a problem and there was going to be some. Uh, serious people against my idea of modern classroom with all the videos. So I had, I had to really sell it to my students and I really played it up like, Hey, we're going to do something that nobody else does. And let me tell you why this is so cool. And you know, you guys are so responsible and I trust you. And with, with responsibility comes freedom. Right. And so we kind of went went from that approach and I really talked up the whole quarantine because they were still being quarantined at that time. And I would say, you know, you get quarantined and you don't have Internet at your house and you're going to be coming back with all these assignments that you have to do. You know, you're going to be lucky enough in my class to be able to exempt some of those because <laughs> you're going to have a really good reason. And so. That was really helpful to be able to just play it up as it's a real benefit to them. And I didn't have any parents complain. 
and I was expecting to, but I was really fortunate. So, so in, in that zero unit, I, I sell it. And then I also teach the students how to do the, the procedure first. You go here, then you go here. And I taught it really slowly so that they would really know what to do and how to do it. And then I was giving them assignments that would um, teach them how to do the things in the platforms that they might not know how to do because our kids did not know how to send emails when they come up to the middle school. They don't know how to send an email or even to check an email. They don't, they don't know how to use the Google Sheets and how to use a Google Doc, how to do um, just work together in uh, platforms such as the Jamboard and just small things that we kind of take for granted, but they don't know. So by setting them up um, with all of those skills that they need on the front end of it, it saved me a lot of time and headache and it saved my kids a lot of stress in the end. Yeah, I do something very similar. I really like this idea of teaching the the model sort of like through the model itself like i i uh one of my first my very first lesson actually is lesson zero in my class um is to have my students create their first uh song on soundtrap but not actually make the music at all just to create the project document it's like making a blank google doc right and then invite me to it and that's that's the mastery check like can you invite me to this blank document because nobody knows how to do that yet and if they don't invite me I can't hear their song, right? And so, like, they'll get a zero. It's not. It's not a good. It's not a good scene for them to not invite me. So it's really important that they do that. But it's like it's a really, really easy task. But they learn to do it by watching an instructional video, doing it, and then submitting a mastery check showing that they did it. And so it's like a really, really, really easy piece of content that's really important too. But like really easy so that they can practice the model. Yes, and. I think another thing that we can do too is to help the kids uh, in their confidence. And I like to assign experts. So Jake's an expert in A, B, and C. And so when you need help, you can go with him. And so it kind of gives him a shout out that he's doing a good job and it lets the other kids have someone else they can go to besides me. And Jake feels good. He's all of a sudden in a leadership position. And I find with middle school kids that now they want to be the next expert. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I've seen that too. That's definitely a motivator. Yeah. So that's just kind of building. And that frees me up to spend more time with other kids that need my help. Sure. So I think too, kids get bored sometimes and they slow down because they don't want to do it. And it's like, I really don't want to do it. So I'm just going to sit here and look at it. And so I like to create um, my lesson levels intentionally and sometimes I have to make it a little more fun in the beginning, uh, like the beginning of the year where they're learning how to do this. And I don't want to watch this video. I don't want to do these questions. Uh, so I have to make it a little more fun and I have to give them, I have to give them something to look forward to. So I might make the should do's a really exciting thing to get to so that when they see another kid doing something really fun, they're like, wait, I want to do that. Okay. You got to finish your video. And then there you go. So they kind of get in the habit of moving quicker because they want to do something. And as we go through the year and they've gotten in that habit of moving through the must do to the should do, then I kind of move that, I make that a little more challenging and I move the more fun stuff to look more fun on the aspire to do. Yeah. I remember, um, Sarah Moon was on the podcast quite a while ago, and what she said something that stuck in my head since then, which is that the aspire to do's, the students should actually aspire to do them, which I guess sounds kind of obvious and silly to say out loud, but like it's true, you know, uh, it's not just like 
it doesn't have to just be more or harder versions of the same thing. It can be something really awesome. And they will definitely be motivated to do that. And it's it's happened in my class where like they see someone else doing uh, something, right? Um, usually it's listening to a song on Spotify. In my class, that's that's one of the aspired to do's is do, you know, listen to a song and do some kind of analysis. And then they'll be like, I want to do that. And I'll be like, well, you got to finish lessons four and five before you get to lesson six, you know, um, and it's definitely a motivator. So, yes. And it's easier. I think it's easier in some classes than others, because when I taught family and consumer science, I had food and I had <laughs> cooking and then I got to eat. So that was really super motivating for the kids. But then where I'm teaching ELA, it's a little harder to find the really seriously motivating stuff like that. Cause I don't have food. So I have to find other ways, but there's plenty of things that kids would rather do than something else that they want to do. Yeah. I love, I love the food. I mean, it's interesting. This is a good transition into my next question, which has to do with the idea of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with the concepts of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And there is a particular motivator in the modern classrooms model that I want to sort of talk about in terms of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, which is the pacing tracker. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know, I guess the food and, um, you know, I don't know what, what are the motivators in an English class for those aspire to do's, right? But like, whatever they are, uh, is that, I don't know, is that intrinsic or extrinsic motivation? And is the, is the progress tracker an intrinsic or an extrinsic motivator? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Have you found the progress tracker to be a motivator? I I think in some ways it can be a motivator and in other ways it can be a demotivator. Like with my gifted students, they love that competition. So they want to be uh, further than anyone else. They want to get to the aspire to do and then go beyond that. So for them, they love it. Uh, for the lower kids, they don't always like that because they don't want everyone to see that they're behind. Right. So with my resource class, for example, I have those students on personal trackers. So they can only see their own tracker and they're very comfortable with that. But if they were in a general inclusion class, they would be very uncomfortable with a public tracker. Yeah. And I think even putting aside the competition, I think also like if you fall really far behind, I've seen this with a couple of students. I'm, I'm about to get to the end of my first unit and I have a couple of students who are really far behind because they didn't realize what it meant to be a student in a modern classroom until now. Uh, it could just be demotivating, you know, internally, like uh, just to see it for yourself. You know, like I have, man, it's we're on lesson 10 and I'm on lesson three. You know, I, I can't do eight lessons. Like I can't, like that's a demotivator too just to be so far behind and to see it so plainly but i agree also like some kids can be put off by feeling so behind in the context of classmates who are ahead um i i i asked this in terms of the distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation because i i don't know what the pacing tracker is exactly because what they're motivated to do is is get their progress on the board but i don't know if that necessarily is a motivator or if that reflects motivation to learn the content, you know, like if they're intrinsically driven to learn whatever the topic is, right? In my in my class, music and in your class, ELA, like getting the X's or the checks on the board is the motivator. But I don't know, because I've seen a lot of students tell me they want the X's on the board, but don't care so much about learning the content. What's your take on that? I think it depends on the student, because 
like I said, I have some students that really want to do more than others. And I have more students that's in any class I've ever taught. I've got the kids that want to go above and beyond and they want to do more than what's expected. And then I've got kids that, you know, would really prefer not to do anything if they could. And then I've got those in between that are going to comply and they're going to learn because, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I guess like the food example, right? Like that is an intrinsic motivation. Like they want to make the food, right? They want to learn how to do that. It might be an extrinsic motivator too, just to be like, I want to get through all this stuff that isn't so interesting to me so I can get to that. But um, yeah, interesting. I don't know. I, I felt like it was important to discuss that distinction. Uh, it's it's not, I guess the line isn't quite so clear. I, I, I sometimes feel like there's this stigma around extrinsic motivation, like it's the bad one, you know? I don't know. I, I actually have some just reward types of motivators in my class that I have found to work. Uh, I know that students who are ahead generally tend to be the students who want to succeed in all their classes. And so they will, uh, you know, study math or something. Um, and I'll give them free time to do that. I, I have a, um, an old stereo in my room, like with a turntable and a cassette deck and stuff that they want to go and mess with, which is, a, is a, they have to finish their lessons first before they can do that. Um, Sometimes they want to listen to music or draw. And, and I feel like these are things that I will let them do uh, if they are up to date on their lessons, not if they're behind or even on pace. They have to finish their work for today. Um, what about you? I, I typically don't like to do free time with my kids. Um, I have things that are available that they think is fun. So I make sure that that I provide good opportunities for them to keep learning because I feel like every every minute is important. Uh, especially with my resource kids, because they are so far behind and I just, I don't to give them free time. Um, But there is fun things for them that are related to what they need to learn. In my experience from all my classes over the course of my teaching career, I've had a lot of students rush through assignments to get free time when I've done that in the past. And they just want to do something more desirable. So they don't get the quality of what they should have learned. So yeah. I guess for me, like the, I, cause I see their work and then I hear their song and I'm like, I, well, you can't go over to the stereo now because <laughs> this isn't done, you know? Um, that's what the master checks are for. But I see what you're saying, especially with the resource class, uh, just having sort of an attitude of this is our class and like it, rather than giving you free time when you make it through the slog of the boring stuff, I'm going to make this fun and actually motivating for you. Like, I guess that's probably a healthier approach. (laughs) That's probably the right way to do it. It's just hard. I think, I think that a lot of teachers struggle to figure out what is motivating to students, especially when we have such big classes and students are all different, you know? Yes. And I've tried the candy before, you know, give candy when they do something or when whatever. And I find that the kids just choose well, I don't want candy today, so right. I'm just not going to worry about it. No, I don't want that. I don't like chocolate. So if you have chocolate today. I'm just not going to do my work today. So I don't, I don't find that that is the best way for me to motivate my kids. And I get a lot more out of them with my other methods. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, but again, like kids are all different. I have, I have this one student, I have a student, uh, there's a class that I teach and there's a dedicated aide in the class and she sometimes brings, it's a small class and she sometimes brings candy. And there's another student, not the person that uh, she is with. He's just like every day. He's like, do you have mints? You got the mints? <laughs> it's just like, it worked for him, you know, but every student is different. And so I guess 
uh, I'm liking I'm liking where this is going. Where like let's figure out a way to take the content and put it into a framework that is motivating in and of itself. And so maybe I am actually convincing myself that extrinsic motivation is the bad kind. I don't know. Each each kid's different. So yeah, and the line is not so clear. Yeah, and I've got one kid this year that he he is so motivated by music. And every day in the beginning of the year, he would say, "Can we listen to music while we do this?" No, this is a te- like this is a navi test no you cannot listen to music and it was every day and then he'd get upset so i said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put it in your personal tracker and so i got one of those little emoji um, music notes and so i went into his assignments and anything that was okay to listen to music i would drop that emoji in he doesn't he doesn't have to ask me now he goes oh i get to listen to music today oh that's so cool and that's also a motivator in the sense that like he can see them coming, you know, like maybe he's in one now where he can't listen to music, but he wants to get through it and he knows the next one he can. Yes, that is very true. Cool. So listeners, we're going to take a short break for some announcements from Tony Rose. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more specifically about modern classrooms and how we can use the model to uh, assist in the challenge of motivating our students. Um, but yeah, so we will be right back to talk about that. Hey listeners, it's Tony Rose here with some announcements and reminders. If you and or your teacher bestie are interested in the virtual mentorship program, we do have scholarships available. Make sure to check out modernclassrooms.org slash scholarships. We have regional scholarships available for educators in Baltimore City, New York City, D.C., Chicago, Tulsa County, and the Twin Cities that include full tuition, a year of implementation support, and a $500 stipend for finishing the program. We are continuing our scholarship across the state of Indiana, which includes implementation support and 30 PGPs. Any educator in the state can enroll right now at modernclassrooms.org slash Indiana. We also have partnerships with districts across the country who are paying for educators to go through our training. As for professional learning, make sure to check out our webinars page on modernclassrooms.org slash webinars. And to connect with our community, join our Twitter chat on the first Wednesday of the month and our virtual meetup on the second Wednesday of the month. Both are at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and we hope to connect with you outside of our podcast. All right, folks, we are back. I'm here with Jennifer, and we're talking about motivation. And I'd like to dive a little bit more specifically now into motivation as it relates to the modern classrooms model um, and consider how the model addresses some of the topics we've talked about and some of the challenges we we uh, laid out at the beginning of the of the episode you know i'm inclined to doubt that we can point to any particular aspect of the model and definitively say this solved the motivation problem right um but you know just in general how has the model helped you to address uh, the issues of motivation that you may have been seeing before you were implementing the model? Um, well, other than saving my life uh, with my restrictions, <laughs> I learned I learned how to allow my students and how to facilitate my students in taking ownership of their learning. And I think that was the biggest thing for me when I stepped back and saw my students uh, managing their own learning process and working together and uh, initiating their own conversations with each other that I could come up and interject and be a part of and then step away from and they continued was incredible because it was happening all over my classroom with students who wouldn't regularly participate in discussions in the classroom or if you did the standard turn and talk they didn't want to turn and talk right and so I was seeing this this um, transformation in my students that was just really inspiring to me and 
I remember at one point thinking, I will never do something different. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us think that. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I never liked the turn and talk thing because my students just never did it. It, felt, it made me feel awkward. And, I, you know, we talked about being authentic before. Like, that didn't feel like an authentic conversation to me, even if students did do it. But with the model, I actually see them not turning, but just like they're already talking to each other about the content. Like, they're just yes. they're just doing it, you know, because um, maybe they're on the same lesson or maybe I tell them like, oh, you know, uh, this student has already finished that lesson. So why don't you go talk with them because they did a really good job. Uh, you know, you mentioned the like those lesson all stars sort of things like a lesson expert. Um, yeah, for me. And we talked about building relationships, too. I, I think that like uh, when a student sees that you trust them with that amount of autonomy, that motivation that that we that you mentioned and that we sort of talked about at the very beginning of the episode that motivation that is there you know even in some of our students who seem completely checked out the motivation is there and when you trust them to show it to you it can it it, it can come out you know mm-hmm. And so like not micromanaging them, not pulling them all into a lecture format where some of them can just not be successful because they can't sit still or they can't be quiet. Right. Um, and so it's like a class, a class format where their personality isn't the cause of the failure, you know, um, where they're allowed to sort of be themselves and get through the work and learn and succeed definitely as a motivator. Another big one for me is that the model frees me up to work with kids one-on-one. And I liked how you sort of put it of sort of like weaving in and out of, of their interactions, you know, dropping in and then leaving. Um, but also I think that like, if a student's not motivated, it's tough for them. If they're just sitting with me, just the two of us sitting there, it's tough for them to not do their work, you know, yeah. like we can get through it together. Um, and that helps them to see like, Oh, I actually can do this. You know, uh, it's a tricky balance cause you don't want to train them to become dependent on you doing that. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that it addresses the root cause if there is one that again, that is within my control, but it definitely helps. Like it helps them get their work done and it helps them to see, I can actually do this. Yeah. I, I love that aspect too, where you can take the one-on-one work with the students who really need it. And in the beginning of each year, I find that, um, I have to do some one-on-one to see exactly where my students are. And I try to approach them with the, uh, with an attitude and language that says I'm here to help. So if, if I have a student that's having some trouble getting started and I'll get the rest of the class started and then I'll come pull up a stool and Hey, let me help you. You look like you need help. I don't need help. Well, you're having trouble getting started. So I'll ask them a lot of questions to kind of figure out where they are, what they need help with. And, you know, if they don't want my help, I don't allow no as the answer because I I, I want them to go. So I kind of just like, well, do you know how to start the video? And they kind of look at me like, I'm not stupid. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I'm just checking because I want to make sure you know how to do that first because you can't watch the video if you don't know how to start it. And so the kids, the kids that um, can actually do it and they just don't want to, they get tired of that and they'll say, okay, I, I can do this. You can leave. Yeah. And, and then they don't want me to come back with the stool because they're not working because they know I'm just going to sit there until they do something. And so that gets them started. And then if the kids really can't do something, then I find that out really quickly and I'm able to intervene and fix that problem so that they are able to work. So I, I love that. It kind of 
motivates them. I guess that's how you're in extrinsic motivation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because it's, it's awkward. Otherwise, like you're sitting there with them, you know? Yeah. When I'm asking the real basic questions, I think they, they just don't want the other kids to hear like, Oh yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And again, it's like, you're interacting with a person here. Like, it's just the two of us, like, just do it. You know, like, are you going to fight with me? Are you actually going to have a, that? that's so rare in my class that a student, when I'm sitting with them, will like fight with me or something rather than do it and completely resist. And I think it's also because they know that I'm not there to fight with them. Like, I'm generally pretty nice to them. And I really very intentionally try and form those relationships. Um, and so if they're not doing their work, it's like an, another reason and something else is going on. And that's a whole separate discussion. Um, okay. I have a couple other questions relating to, uh, motivation and the model. One of the most frequent concerns that we hear from listeners, like when we have Q and A episodes, people write this and, uh, I see this as well is that students just don't want to watch the instructional videos. Like I definitely see this in my class. I I'm thinking of specific students here. <laughs> like I know that my videos are doing the right things. I've honed them quite a bit. I know the best practices and, uh, my videos, you know, they're all like five minutes long at the most, but I still hear all the time, Mr. Diamond, these videos are so long. Have you figured out an approach to this, this problem? Yep. That um, pull up a stool works really well. Yeah, there you go. I, I can't learn this way. I had to learn from these videos during the pandemic and it didn't work. I didn't learn anything. So here we go. We're going to watch this Ed puzzle together. And I don't, I don't remember when we get to that question at the, at the stopping point. Well, I don't remember. See, I told you I can't learn this way. And then I sell it again. I'm like, ah, but that's the benefit of the video because if I was lecturing, you wouldn't be able to go back. And now we can, let me show you how to do that. And let's listen this time. Now that we know the question that's coming, let's see if we can find the answer. And then they start to roll their eyes and they're like, okay, fine. I got this. Yeah. And once you get into that level, like they'll find the answer and be like, oh, this is the answer. And then they're into it. Yeah, that's funny. It's sort of the same answer, right? Like you just sit with them. Yeah, I just sit with them. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. Um, okay, another question. I, I definitely see this because I have very long units. So students see a self-paced unit, a self-paced model, right? And they see that the deadline of the unit is, you know, in like mid-October and it's the first day of school, right? Uh, and so they make the conscious decision, or maybe not conscious, but in some cases, very conscious decision to just put it off and be like, oh, I'll get to it later you know how do you motivate them to work sort of on a daily basis when they know that the work isn't actually technically due for a while um that just goes right back to how i set up my uh, how i set up my system so that they are wanting to get to something fun yeah um every once in a while i'll throw out some candy but it's never predictable and it's it's not all the time so every once in a while i'll be like "Ooh, look she's doing something really fabulous i've got candy in my pocket and i just kind of throw out candy here and there. So it, you know, the, the candy doesn't really make them work. It just kind of makes them think, Oh, somebody did something good. But like I said, I want to focus their motivation to be, um, to not be dependent on candy. So the majority of my motivation comes into how I set up my, my unit and the activities and that are assigned to my students. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's sort of like the direction this conversation took because yeah, like we should be making our classes interesting and motivating. <laughs> you know, that is within our realm of control. And and uh, it's definitely something that we should be focusing on uh, in terms of motivating our students. Uh, can you can you give me like an example of one of those types of fun activities? 
Yeah. Like when I taught science, I want my kids to think like a scientist. And so if, if I gave them an activity with a workbook and a textbook, that's not fun. But if I give them something to go research and then study, and I have things for them to weigh and compare and look at with microscopes, that is that is much more fun. And they're still learning and they're able to chart their data and actually become the scientist instead of just read about, this is how you read a chart. This is what the variable is on the uh, vertical line. This is what the variable is on the horizontal line. That's not fun, but they need to know the information before they go make a chart, but then they need to go make the chart to enjoy it and, and become a part of science and learn. Right. So it's a balance. You can't have everything be fun all the time. Like sometimes work is work, but that's, that's a great example. That's awesome. In my mind, the must do is kind of that content that the students need to be able to interact with the curriculum in more fun and interesting ways. Right. Which then become like the should and the aspire to do's. Yes. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense because it also, it gives the, the must do's a reason to be. That's right. <laughs> it wouldn't be fun for you if you didn't understand what the chart was or whatever. Yeah. That's right. That's fantastic. Um, so to close us out, we've actually, we've already kind of touched on this quite a bit. Um, I was thinking like, I don't want to close us out on these super tricky, challenging parts of motivating students and like the parts of the model that are harder. So could you tell me about any wins? But you've actually already been telling, telling me about quite a few wins. Um, but if you could pick one big one, how would you encapsulate sort of the wins that you've seen um, in terms of student motivation in modern classrooms? Uh, overall, I would just have to say that my students work harder on their own. Uh, they grow themselves in student leadership and it's a natural development and their learning becomes much more authentic as they take ownership of their learning. And just seeing my students work harder and growing in their leadership and everything becomes more authentic. When my students are taking ownership of their learning now, whereas I had to really push, 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 push before I did modern classroom, I don't have to push as much anymore. Right, right. And that looks like motivation, right? That is motivation in a in a sort of different sense, right? It's motivating to the teachers too. Like it's motivating to me yeah. to watch that unfold. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Let's definitely close on that. <laughs> what a positive note. <laughs> um, man, and I, you know, this is just such a big topic. I, I, I feel like we maybe scratch the surface a little bit, but like, I like the, I like sort of getting a glimpse into your classroom because it feels like your approach is very motivating and it's very student friendly in its, in its approach to motivating them. And so I'm, I'm happy to have had the conversation go this way. Um, I just, I feel like what a big topic, you know, like it's like the, it's like the biggest topic. Um, so hopefully this conversation has been, uh, has been valuable to our listeners. It certainly has been enlightening to me and I'm going to be thinking about ways that I can make my aspire to do is more fun. Um, so Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. This really, really has been enlightening. Um, how can our listeners connect with you? Um, my email is Jennifer dot Stevens with a PH at modern org. Perfect. And I will have that linked in the show notes. So listeners, you can head down there if you'd like to reach out to Jennifer, because it definitely sounds like she's the kind of person you might want to ask questions to, uh, how to make those lessons more fun. And remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 113. 
We will have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back in the show notes here for this episode if you'd like to access those. And of course, thank you for listening. Have a great week and we will be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.